make that money. DraftKings session number four. UFC, Durandamy versus Lad. Spectate while your pockets accumulate. Make that money. DraftKings session number four. Back in your life in the fourth week in a row. We're here to make that money like you did last week, like you did the week before, and like you did in my debut episode. This is your host, Uber Mike, and what I simply do is I look at the tape, I exploit the weaknesses, I discuss it with y'all, and y'all set your optimal DraftKings lineup so you can spectate while your DraftKings pockets accumulate. So with no further ado, let's get into some housekeeping stuff real quick before we jump into the main event. If you've never played DraftKings before, please click on the referral link below, sign up, and get in and make that money, man. Don't just spectate, spectate, let them pockets accumulate. In regards to podcast viewings and such, my YouTube channel will be the best medium to go to in order to see scores as well as DraftKings budgets, prices for the specific fighters, and all that other stuff. But if you're driving in your car and you got to get to work or you got to go pick up your kid from custody or whatever it may be, then check out the audio too, man. I, I break it all down for you. But with no further ado, let's go ahead and let's jump into the main event. We have Aspen Lab with the DraftKings price of $8,900 versus Jerain Dermandermy with the DraftKings price of 7300 Even though there's a huge discrepancy in the DraftKings prices between these two fighters, this is actually a pretty dangerous fight for both fighters. With Jerain Dermandermy, you have supposedly the best Muay Thai fighter in women's MMA history. I'm not sure how much clout that holds, but with her, she's mainly a stand-up fighter. But in her case, she she can put it on girls, especially with that height of 5'10 and her long reach. She's able to keep girls at distance and not only keep girls at distance in pot shot, but also put the combinations together if the said, said girl is just standing there like a respective punching bag. And speaking of punching bag, we have our girl Aspen Lab at the price of 8900 And this girl is super plotty, man. She steps in. She takes the hits. She has respectable cardio and respectable toughness. But Durandamy will be the toughest girl that she's ever faced in her career. In her young career, that is. Durandamy, she's been around the block. She's fought Nunes way before Nunes became the monster she is today. As well as Holly Holm for the vacant 145 pound belt and many other uh, who's who she's been around for a good minute and she's pretty long in the tooth but with Aspen Ladd this is definitely the UFC trying to push her get her in the main event spot and if she can get a pretty convincing win against her enemy she gets pushed into the main uh, she gets pushed into a, a potential title shot with newness at the 135 pound uh, women's division but with Aspen Ladd she has to take this fight to the ground. Which, Duranami has respectable takedown defense. But once she's on the ground, she stays on the ground. Typically from past fights against Julia Buds and Force, which was the last notable wrestler she went against, she tends to get stuck down there. And with Aspen Ladd on top of you, she's not just gonna lay on you and try to score points. She's gonna pound you out and try to TKO you and end the fight. So from a fight prediction standpoint, 
I see Duran to me winning this bout by fourth round TKO. What draw me to that conclusion of that result is Aspen Lad's <clears throat> takedowns are not very convincing. A lot of her takedowns she has to get off the cage where she where she has that plotting sort of grimy style pushes Duranami up against the cage is able to trip her up and then from there get on top of her and work her. But even in her last respective fight against Shajara Eubank, she struggled a bit to get the fight on the ground. And when on the feet, Eubanks was definitely taking advantage of Aspen Ladd in regards to the footwork department, in regards to the hands department. And Duranami is head and shoulders above Shajara Eubanks in regards to the stand-up. And I feel like Duranami will have the better five-round cardio. She's fought five rounds before, even though and this is Aspen Ladd's first time fighting five rounds as well. That's an important note as well. And Duranami is 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 aware of what Aspen Ladd is bringing, and Aspen Ladd's aware too. She's aware of her deficiencies, and so this is definitely a super close fight. With that fourth round TKO call, I just feel like Duranami will be able to stifle Aspen Ladd's take down defense. I mean, take down attempts off against the cage and put her striking together. In order, to, and it will be way too much for the uh, young Aspen Lad. But if Aspen Lad is able to get this on the ground and able to start dom like assert asserting her position and putting strikes down on Duranami, Duranami could lose by TKO. Especially if you got Herb Dean in there as the referee. Man, he he calls every fight super early, but that's neither here nor there. In regards to DraftKings, based on the very specific nature of this fight in regards to Aspen Lag getting the fight on the ground, controlling Duranami and TKO and Duranami, or if Duranami just keeps this standing up, can absolutely piece up Aspen Lad's Ben Askren esque striking. Both are rosterable. Obviously, with the 7300, that will give you a lot more flexibility on your lineups compared to Aspen Lad being at 8900. You don't get a lot of leeway to play some of the uh, $9,000 fighters that I'll be talking about later on in this episode. But at the same time, you get to forego uh, some of the mid-$8,000 to upper $8,000 fighters, which I'll also get into in this episode as well. Spoiler alert, I don't feel too strong about those guys. But both are super rosterable. But you're going to be drinking your tequila or your beer or your juicy juice if you're under the age of 21. And based on whoever you pick, because the fight has to go one way or the other. And if the fight goes purely striking, Durandamy takes it. If the fight hits the ground and Aspen Lad is able to establish and control on top of Duranami, and Duranami's takedown defense doesn't stop any of Aspen Lad's uh, takedown attempts off the cage, Aspen Lad, I can see her TKO and because of TKO and Duranami because I don't see Duranami getting right back up. In the co-main event, we have Ricky Simon at $9,300 on DraftKings versus Uriah, the California kid. Faber at $6,900 on DraftKings. Man, I am a hardcore, hardcore Uriah Faber fan. I just like the guy, man. Like, whenever I got into MMA, I saw this shaggy-haired dude, and he was out here moving quick. He had his little headband. He was finding the WEC. He fought Aldo. He got his legs chewed up. Whatever, man. Like, if you've been watching MMA for a hot minute, you like Uriah Faber. But in this specific case don't like him too much. Let's break it down. Uriah Faber's last fight 
was against Brad Pickett in the year 2016. So about three years ago was the last time Uriah Faber fought. And since then, he's just been retired, been managing his fighters, been doing grappling tournaments, and he just had a newborn kid. So you can be like, oh, he has that dad motivation like Donald Cerrone, but let's pump the brakes here because Uriah Faber is going against a hungry, I wouldn't say, I almost said undefeated, but a hungry young 26-year-old fighter in Ricky Simone who has been on a tear. Has been on a tear in the regional scene in LFA. LFA is a super legit regional fight scene to be winning your fights at. I think his only loss came like in his second pro fight or so, so that's pretty impressive in and of itself. And so far in the UFC, the dudes look, he's, he's looked tenacious. Not necessarily from the striking realm, which I thought Uriah Faber would be able to take advantage of that with Ricky Simone, but watching some of the past few fights, like I said back in 2016-2015 of Uriah Faber, he tends to stand around a bit. He'll throw a hand, a right hand here, left hook there, but his striking isn't very voluminous, so that's what made me really hesitant to lean towards Faber in this bout. Just he he just he's really fast. This will be this will he will be. Well, I mean. He's going to be 40 years old, and he hasn't fought in three years, so we don't know how fast he'll look come fight night. But I could respectively say this is the fastest opponent that Ricky Simone has faced. But with Ricky Simone, man, he just brings the pressure. Tenacious, tenacious wrestling. If you look at his draft, his fight breakdown against Montel Jackson, who's a respectable bantamweight, and his other uh, fight against uh, Beer Shark or something. I'm probably butchering the guy's name. He's a he's a cardio machine, too. I mean, Ricky Simone was able to meet these guys toe-to-toe in the cardio department and was able to shoot takedown after takedown after takedown. This guy doesn't stop, man. Even if you try to take Simone down, he's Grammy rolling. For all my wrestling, non-wrestling people out there, it's kind of like when you... Whatever, but he's he's basically a super active, super tenacious push forward fighter, younger fighter at the twenty age of twenty six compared to Faber at the age of forty, and he I can just fight prediction wise I can see Simone taking this fight by unanimous decision. I get it, Uriah Faber. This fight is taking place in Sacramento. He can get the nod, but then I feel like Uriah Faber won't do enough in order to convince the judges to give him the nod whenever the cards go to decision. It's not like Uriah Faber has pulled with the judges in Sacramento like Floyd Mayweather has pulled with the Nevada judges in regards to boxing. And with Ricky Simone, man, he's just on a train. He's basically going to beat Uriah Faber via activity with takedowns and such and just keep things moving. Just kill a legend, keep things moving and take this fight. I just don't see what Uriah Faber offers. If Uriah Faber threw more on the feet or was able to crack Ricky Simone and hurt him and get on top of him and hit him with his, uh, with his signature guillotine chokes, that, that's that's a possibility, but I, I don't think so. Uriah Faber's been out of the game for way too long. This is a very, very, very serious opponent that they gave him in regards to his comeback. And Ricky Simone, he's just young, he's hungry, and his pace and his activity is what's definitely going to win this fight for him. In regards to DraftKings, Ricky Simone is a bit too expensive. If you, let's say, have eight lineups, nine lineups, you can put him in two lineups. 
I could see Ricky Simone probably being pretty high owned. I can also see Uriah Faber being high owned just because, hey, you know, Uriah Faber, he's a legend. He might get the nod in Sacramento, this or that. But with Uriah Faber, you're just you're hoping that he pulls the upset. If that's so, then that that'll be awesome, especially at that price and that flexibility that it gives you a lineup. But for the most part, it's just it, it, it's a it's a roster it's a ros it's a roster flexible piece. It'll give your roster some breathing room to play some of these bigger cats that we'll talk about later on in this episode, and at the same time, points salvaging as well. Because Uriah Faber, he like I said, not only is he quick, if he hits the ground, and gets taken down, he'll get right back up, which that will help Ricky Simone as well. You know, he takes down Uriah Faber, gets five points, gets back, Uriah Faber gets back up, Simone takes him down again, gets five points. You get the gist of what I'm saying. So both fighters are definitely rosterable. Ricky Simone, if I had to construct my own lineup right now, would be considered in a lineup. With Uriah Faber, he's more of a pump play per se, just to see if he can actually pull up the, the, the upset or he happens to turn back the clock, give enough activity and get the judges uh, score, get the judges not on the scorecards. In the next bout, we have Michard Bektik at the DraftKings price of 8800 versus Josh Emmett at the DraftKings price of 7400 at the DraftKings price of 7400 Emmett I like him a lot I was definitely 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 concerned in his fight against Michael Johnson cuz if you don't know before that fight against Michael Johnson he fought Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens and was knocked out viciously in the second round there was doctors reports saying that he had like broken orbitals broken stuff in his face, had to get face reconstruction, couldn't train for about six months, seven months. Just bad, bad, bad news that you hear in regards to a fighter. And, you, and against Michael Johnson, I'm not saying Michael Johnson's a world beater, but Michael Johnson's a quick guy, knocked out the interim lightweight champion, Dustin Poirier. And this looked like a super dangerous fight for Emmett. Not in the same regards as Jeremy Stevens, but in regards to, hey, this guy's on the up and up and you're just coming back from a a face destroyer injury but Emmett he looked he looked quick he looked patient you know he, he was going in and out he was his footwork looked fine and in the third round he, he lined Michael Johnson up and starched him with an overhand right and that fight took place in about three months ago and now he's back in the game and he's about to fight Mishar Bertek which he doesn't possess the same stand up dangerous compared to Michael Johnson or little heathen Jeremy Stevens. With Bektik, you're looking at a guy who his strikes are wild, they're quick, but they're kind of wild in regards to his foot placement. He tends to sit down on his punches and whenever he does throw his hands tend to drop here and there. I mean everyone's hands drops with the small gloves in MMA, but with Bektik you can definitely see this guy just you could tell he goes to boxing class and all he does is hit the heavy bag. He doesn't hit focus mitts. He doesn't work on slipping or anything. He just swings hard, moves forward, swings hard, moves forward. Another interesting thing about Bektik as well is with his move forward style, he can mix in some takedowns. Now, don't mistake him. He's definitely no Ricky Simone. But at the same time, it's a nice little wrinkle in his game that can keep the opponent guessing and keep the opponent wondering, like, what's he's going to bring. And that can allow him to come in and use his hands and come in quick and hard and, I wouldn't say sloppy per se, but kind of reckless. 
But from a fight prediction standpoint, I see Josh Emmett winning this bout by knockout. Late knockout. I would say mid to late third round. And the reason why I see that is Josh Emmett trains at Team Alpha Male. Team Alpha Male. There's going to be a lot of Team Alpha Male related fighters on this card. We already covered one in Uriah Faber. And Josh Emmett is just another one. And in there, those guys, just I, they wrestle all day, every day. Like, that's just what they do. Josh Emmett doesn't necessarily wrestle himself. He's primarily a striker. He wants to put punches on you. He wants to set you up. He wants to put you to sleep. And he wants to get his bonus check. I mean, that's just his game. But in regards to Bechtek's takedowns, Bechtek, I just don't see how he's able to take down Josh Emmett and control him. And another thing as well is Bechtek, he fought against... Darren Elkins, who we'll talk about later on in this episode because he's on this card. And even though he was able to rag on, take down Elkins and such, Elkins was able to push him and put a pace on him that gassed Mishard out. And Darren Elkins ended up TKO and Mishard. And Josh Emmett isn't going to be able to push that pace per se from a strike, from a wrestling standpoint. But in regards to being able to sprawl out on those shots from Mishard and put hands on him and wear him out in that way, not only wear him out, but release him from his consciousness whenever he cracks him with that big overhand right or that big left hand. I see Josh Emmett getting the job done here. And with the DraftKings price of 8800 for Mishard, that's way too much. I'd rather pay 100 bucks extra and have Aspen Ladd on my lineup and see what happens in regards to that fight compared to paying 8800 against paying 8800 for Mishard and I just don't see how Mishard wrestles, wrestle dominates Josh Emmett as well as get the best of him on the stand up. If you believe in Mishard, if Mishard's your boy if you're seeing something that obviously I'm not seeing in regards to what I'm speaking here right now, then definitely roster him but personally I just wouldn't touch him. In regards to Josh Emmett, Josh Emmett is definitely rosterable. 7400 super considerable price and with the KO possibility that he brings into this bout, I like that a lot. Next bout we have is Carl Roberson at $9,100 on DraftKings versus Wellington Thurman at $7,100 on DraftKings. Well, Wellington Thurman, the good things I was able to pick up from him was he looks like a Brazilian Nick or Nate Diaz pretty respectable punches like nothing too crazy because this is he's coming in short notice in this bout and the scene that he fought in was a regional scene in brazil and in that scene it, it that scene just it's not impressive and so wellington was able to put punches together you know attack the legs with really quick I would say power. I wouldn't say powerful, powerful, but like respectable leg kicks. Just Wellington is is this your average coming in short notice fighter who has respect respectable slash low sub subpar stand up. He has finished a lot of his bouts by submission, but the way he gets those submissions typically is if he hurts his opponent. His opponent's doing the chicken dance. He's able to jump on their back or able to secure a takedown from there. And with the concussed opponent not knowing where he's at and trying to get back up, Wellington just sinks in a rear naked choke or arm bar or whatever it may be. But in regards to his opponent being conscious or his opponent being aware of where he's at, 
Wellington's takedown offense is not very good. A lot of his shots, his back is straight up. His hips aren't into it. They're not explosive. They're super, super predictable to see. He just, he just looks like, he looks like some some white collar guy who just wants to try out MMA, and he happened to do it for a while, and he's good in that regard, but not UFC level, which leads us to Carl Roberson. And Carl Roberson, this guy is explosive, man. He fights if. We have to compare cards. Wellington Thurman's fight pace is comparable to a 96 convertible. And Carl Robertson's fight pace is comparable to one of those Formula One cars you see on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Whatever time you're watching Formula One. Either way, Carl Robertson, his fight pace is quick, quick, quick. On top of that, he's been training for this bout for about six to eight weeks. While Wellington Thurman only had three weeks to get ready for this bout because he had to come in for the injured John Phillips who was supposed to fight Carl Roberson. But Roberson, he's quick, man. He's explosive. And with his strikes and such, he's, he's he, can def, he can definitely take anyone's lights out. When you look at his Dana White contender fight, he was able to knock out Ryan Spann with a short-range elbow at about 30 seconds into the fight, which makes you wonder, like, man, how can you generate power from that short of a distance? But I'm telling you, this guy's explosive. Going into his fight with Darren Stewart, he threw Stewart with just pure athleticism, pure explosive. There wasn't really, there was a little bit of technique in the takedown he hit Stewart with, but it was mostly explosion. And he was able to get on top of Stewart and choke him out. But recently, especially in his fights against Cesar Ferreira and um, Glover Teixeira, there we go. His ground game has been exposed a bit. But compared to Wellington Thurman's takedowns and Cesar's and Glover's takedowns on Carl Robinson, because both Cesar Ferreira and Glover Teixeira took Robinson down controlled him on the ground and submitted him but those respective black belt Caesar and, and Glover they're, they're wrestling their takedowns are a lot more convincing compared to Wellington's on top of that both Caesar Ferreira and Glover takes they're, they're they've been around the UFC for a minute so they know what's up and they know how to apply the wrestling game and their jiu-jitsu game if need be and with Wellington Thurman coming in short notice and He's, I mean, he's going to fight, he's going to get paid, whatever it may be. I just don't see him having that same sort of offensive pedigree in the takedown department compared to Glover and Teixeira in order to take advantage of Cole Robertson's weak takedown defense and weak bottom game whenever he's on the ground, uh, jiu-jitsu-wise. Fight prediction, I see Carl Robertson finishing Wellington Thurman in the second round. And that's just because Carl Robertson's explosive style, this will be the toughest, the most explosive, and the most, this this will be a very tough fight for Wellington Thurman. He's fighting in the UFC. He's not fighting in some local Brazilian brothel and going against, you know, these regional bums. He's going against the real deal Holyfield. And in regards to DraftKings at 9,100, Carl Robertson, he's definitely rosterable. I mean, with Ricky Simone, you have $9,300 with him, but you could just drop 200 bucks, take Carl Robertson in a much, I wouldn't say, uh, yeah, I'll say it, a much better matchup against Wellington Thurman coming in short notice, 
and even though he looks like a Brazilian Nate or Nick Diaz, he definitely doesn't have their toughness. He definitely doesn't have their hands. He has jujitsu credentials, but mostly from the top. From the bottom, he just kind of lays there and he tries to do your basic, you know, arm bar, triangle. This stuff Carl Robeson would be able to block. And with Thurman at 7,100, if you just want a boom or bust play that can possibly take Roberson down and hit him with another submission lost, and I mean, it's your lineup, you can gamble with it, and he'll definitely be super low owned, but I don't trust it in this regard. Carl Roberson goes in there, he takes Wellington out, gets the job done. Our next bout, we have Marvin uh, Vittori at the DraftKings price of $8,600 versus Cesar Ferreira with the DraftKings price of $7,600. Cesar Ferreira, he's been around for a good minute and he had his uh, pretty tough loss against Ian Heinrich, but Ian Heinrich, man, he's an up-and-coming contender at the 185 division and what that fight really showed was if you pressure Caesar, if you push him up against the cage, if you're able to stifle his takedowns, let alone his ground game, he doesn't really offer too much. I mean, he's pretty tough. He'll stay in there. It's really hard to take him out of there, but he's mostly, he strikes here and there just to set up his takedowns, and his bread is buttered in the ground whenever he's on top. Really good transact, really good transactions and uh, transitions in the top. Is able to implement his jujitsu game as well, but Cesar, he's that he's he's a typical you know takedown jujitsu type fighter. And with Marvin uh, Vittori, Marvin Vittori, I remember watching his tape and I thought I was like, man, this kid's big. I remember watching him when he fought Israel Asanya, and he lost that fight by split decision. I'm like, okay, this is respectable. Let me watch some of his past tape. And even though this kid looks like, you know, the Italian Ivan Drago, this guy, he, he's super underwhelming. He throws maybe two, three strikes at a time, one strike at a time. His, his striking volume is nothing to be desired. His wrestling offense is it's it's not it's not very good. And he's just he's just an average average fighter in that regard. On top of that, he's coming off a USADA ban. He's been uh he took a Austrian and you saw the band him for about one year, so he's coming back. So if he didn't look like a killer, fight wise, whenever he was on Austrian, then what's he gonna look like when he's off of it? And you see how fighters look when they get off whatever you saw the band that they're on. This going straight into the fight predictions, I see Cesar Ferreira beating Vittori by unanimous decision. When looking at the tape with uh, Vittori. There was a bout he had against Antonio Carlos Jr. And yes, I get it. Antonio Carlos Jr., he's a big middleweight. I think he was like a heavyweight or light heavyweight when he competed in tough. But that's besides the point. And Antonio Carlos Jr. fights pretty similarly to Cesar Ferreira. And he was able to grab Vittori, tie him up, force a takedown here, force a takedown there. Was able to even stand up with Vittori and won the fight pretty handily by unanimous decision. I could see Cesar Ferreira coming in and upsetting Vittori. And, I mean, how many times can I say Vittori? This guy, just DraftKings-wise, $8,600, fade him. I, I wouldn't touch him. I just don't, I'm not super impressed by his game. I'm not super impressed by what he's going to bring. He's coming off an USADA suspension, so we don't know what he's even going to look like come fight night. And Cesar Ferreira at 7600 
he's a he's a considerable he's a considerable play on DraftKings. Wouldn't necessarily call him a punt play per se, but he can win this bout. Will he be lonely owned? I see him being owned maybe in like fourteen to seventeen percent, depending on your DraftKings competitive pool. But if he were to win, I can see him scoring about 65, 68 points. And that's just me being generous. It'll probably be a low-scoring effort because Vittori, he can find a takedown here and there and such. But this will be a low-volume staring contest with the occasional takedown here and there, the occasional punch here and there. Just go take a bathroom break. Roster Caesar for Hera. But don't put him everywhere. Next up, we have Mike Rodriguez at the DraftKings price of 9400 versus John Allen at the DraftKings price of 6800 Let's start with Mike Rodriguez. This is my lock of this DraftKings competition. He is the most expensive fighter on the slate. That's understandable. But looking at this guy's tape and then what he brings, very patient fighter, pops the kicks, pops the knees, pops the one-two here and there. His Striking volume, DraftKings wise, isn't very sexy, but whenever he whenever he cracks, he cracks. Super accurate striker. He ain't no Anderson Silva, but he's a poor. He, he's getting up there. He's a Anderson Silva's Coca Cola, and this guy is the uh, is the uh, great value red cola. Whatever, bad comparison, but you know what I'm saying. Like I like this guy a lot. I like what he's bringing to the table, and especially against his short notice opponent in John Allen. Man, oh man, I like this matchup a lot for Mike Rodriguez. Going into John Allen, John Allen is from the same fight league as that as Wellington Thurman, aka the Brazilian Nate or Nick Diaz. And John Allen is he's he's not super impressive. He comes forward, he throws a leg kick here and there, but whenever he punches, he literally sits down flat footed and throws one, two, three punches at a time. Like you who you listening to this episode right now, if you have go take a boxing class for a week, fight John Allen, you'll be able to slip all his punches. They they come super slow, super predictable, and obviously if you're finding the I forgot I think it's called like Jungle League. I forgot the name of the Brazilian promotion that both him and and Nick Brazilian Nate or Nick Diaz fights at, but. It's it, the competition's not good. These guys stand there; they just get blasted. Whatever. John Allen did have a stint on the Dana White Contender Series, and he went against uh, Venice Moriah, I believe his name, the guy that Eric Anders knocked out last, and he got taken down, controlled, and on the feet. Even Moriah was able to connect with him. And if you watch my uh, DraftKings episode, DraftKings session number three, no, I'm sorry, number two. I talked about how terrible that guy stand-up is, and John Allen is getting tagged by him. Not only getting tagged by him, but he's just getting pace pushed on him and taken down. I mean, let's jump into the fight predictions, man. Mike Rodriguez is going to win this fight by second-round knockout. John Allen, he's respectively tough, but like I said, hasn't fought good competition. Punching is slow. Footwork is awful. Even when watching one of his regional fights, he got dropped by some... Some guy, he looked like a plumber, and he was just swinging left and right, cracked John Allen, dropped him, and it's it just a bad look. Mike Rodriguez is going to pick this guy apart. He's going to put the strikes where they matter. And DraftKings-wise, Mike Rodriguez, 9,400, roster him. Yes, it will leave your lineup, you know, with not a lot of flexibility. He may be highly owned, but you want to roster the Cats who are going to give you the bang for the buck, and you got to pay the play. You, and you want to play Mike Rodriguez. If you're putting John Allen in your lineup, 
you you're playing in a free league or you like giving away money. Next we have Shimon Morais at the DraftKings price of 8400 versus Andre Philly at the DraftKings price of 7800. Andre Philly another team alpha male fighter coming in the Sacramento card representing his city blah 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 and we have Shimon Morais at 8400. Shimon Morais he when he first came into the UFC, he went against Sabit. He got finished by Sabit in the third round, but he showed some flashes there. And then he beat uh, Julia Arce, and he just recently fought Sodif Youssef, and that was a pretty close bout as well. But Shemar Rice and the way he fights is not DraftKings friendly. He's a counter-striking Muay Thai fighter who literally stands there, waits for you to come in, and then when you come in, he'll throw his overhand right, his left hook, he'll throw a big right leg, big high right high head kick, whatever. And that's basically it. At times he will come forward and throw an elbow here and there, but that's all man. Like he won't shoot for takedowns. If he does get taken down, he gets back up, so that's a really good sign. But man, dude, like this guy's volume is it's it's his fighting style is it's it can get violent, but then at the same time he just doesn't put enough volume. And with Andre Feely Andre Feely, he just he pops a jab here, he throws it straight there, he keeps his hands low, and what I notice from the tape is whenever he comes forward and whenever he's throwing his jab or his respective straight, he keeps his chin straight up, which has made him hittable. He went against the go Artem Lobov, even Artem Lobov was able to tag him and touch him up. But the thing with Andre Feely is he's compared to Morais, he's more active on the feet. On top of that, he has a takedown element to his game, and even though he doesn't have the same ground or takedown credentials as Zabit, who was the only fighter that was actually able to hold Marais down when he was on the when he had Marais on the ground. Andre Philly will be able to score takedowns and DraftKings wise, that's pretty good. Take him down, your opponent's getting back up. Take him down, your opponent's getting back up. You, you get what I'm saying. Points are accumulating on your respective lineup if you put Andre Philly there. Fight prediction wise. I see Andre Philly winning this fight by unanimous decision, just simply off of activity. Shimon Morais, uh, he can have his moments in this fight, especially with the way Andre Philly comes in when he strikes and his chin straight up. Morais can counter with a big overhand right or a big left hook or a high head kick or if uh, Andre Philly is caught slipping. But Andre Philly, he was gonna put, he's going to put volume on Morais. It's not meaningful, devastating TKO type volume, but volume enough to for the score for the judges on the scorecard to give him a nod each round. He's able to do that, and Morais is just standing around waiting to throw a kill shot. On top of that, uh, Philly's takedown capabilities <clears throat> are also visible as well, and that can also score him points round for round. And Philly has a pretty sneaky right head kick, but it's nothing to glamour at, especially compared to Marais's head kick. The way he throws it, he whips it like a bat. But like I said, he there's not enough volume from Shimmer Marais where I can see him stealing rounds from Philly unless he cracks him whenever Philly comes in, hands down, chin straight up, or he just comes out and he just fights way differently. But He's been in this, this game for a while, and I, I don't see him fighting differently. Fight, I mean, I'm sorry, DraftKings-wise, Shaman Marais at 8400 He's not too expensive in regards to breaking your lineup, but I, the volume is what worries me about him. 
and he doesn't shoot takedowns. He doesn't do offer anything else to score points other than counter-strike and get the occasional maybe knockdown here or there, but I wouldn't bank on it. And even in a winning effort, if you're lucky to get 70 points from him, that's it. 70 points is a ceiling. His floor is about the mid-50, 55 points or so to, I'll, I'll be generous, I'll say about 64, 65 points. And he's probably going to be low-owned in your respective competitive pool. But since they're fighting in California, I hate using that, oh, they're fighting here, they're fighting there, whatever. But, I mean, I mean, the facts are the facts. They're fighting in California, Andre Philly, the Sacramento boy, you know, training out of Team Alpha Male. And with his activity and his takedowns and him staying busy on the feet and everything, I see him stealing rounds from Arise and <clears throat> winning this fight by unanimous decision. Next bout, we have Juliana Pena at $9,000 on DraftKings versus Nico Montagna at $7,200 on DraftKings. Watching Nico Montagna tape was torture. It was not fun. I fell asleep a couple times, but I knew you people wanted to hear what I had to say about this matchup. So I stayed awake, popped the Addy. I felt good, and, and I, I powered through it. Nico Montagna, man, what can I say? The first flyweight champion... Uh, she won tough. She was low ranked on tough, and she fought her way through. Beat Roxanne Modafferi, who she Roxanne Modafferi. She isn't like a killer killer, but she's just like an OG women's MMA fighter. Whatever. I mean, don't let that 158 points fool you. Roxanne Mont Modafferi. Uh, she's a punching bag. She's super hittable. She's able to be taken down and such. She stands there, and Nico has only fought that one time since uh, yeah it was 2017 December of 2017 was the last time Nico Montagna last fought so she definitely doesn't average 158 uh, fantasy of uh, DraftKings points per fight that was just from the one fight and now uh, she she was dodging Valentina that that was a bad look and she still she got stripped from the flyweight title and I believe this battle is taking place in Bantamweight so I'm assuming she's going to be the smaller girl but uh, Juliana Pena she hasn't fought in a while either uh, last time she fought was January of 2017 from what I read online she had a child and now uh, she was doing like some commentary stuff in the back and in the back, in the background, I meant to say, in the back, what the hell? <laughs> and uh, Juliana Pena, uh, she's coming in short notice, three weeks short notice against Nico Montagna. But if you look at back at her respective tape, man, like she won the Ultimate Fighter as well. For uh, it wasn't for the flyweight, the flyweight division didn't exist, the one that Nico Montagna competed in. But she competed at an earlier, um, uh, she competed at an earlier Ultimate Fighter, and. She won that, and when you watch this girl, I mean, she has some tenacity to her game. She comes forward. She forces takedowns. She ties people up. She takes them down. You know, she beat Kat Singanu, so that has some salt in it. She actually fought Valentina Shevchenko. Compared to Nico Montagna doing, you know, the dodge job of the year, Juliana Pena said, let me get, let me get some of that Valentina, and then she got worked, obviously, because Valentina's a monster, but, I mean, that's, I mean, that says a lot. You know, in regards to a mutual opponent, Nico refused a mutual opponent while Juliana Pena said, "Let you know, I'm ready to get this smoke. Let's go." But going into the fight prediction, I see Juliana Pena winning this fight by unanimous decision. But there, there's a bit of hesitancy with that. The thing is, Juliana Pena is coming in short notice, and we don't know what she's looked like in a while. 
We don't know how having the baby is going to affect her fighting. And we also don't know if her gas tank is really going to hold up. Like, she may go out there and try to be super aggressive, 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 and then she may gas out, and Nico Montagna may be able to get a sneaky decision off of her. But in regards to what Nico Montagna can do to Juliana Pena, Juliana Pena's striking whenever she comes forward is kind of wild. Like, her elbows are bowed out, chin straight up and such. But Nico Montagna, she has... She has more straighter punches in order to score points in those stand-up exchanges, but she necessarily doesn't have the power to crap Juliana, let alone punish her for coming in so recklessly. And whenever Juliana is tying up with Nico, I, I just believe Juliana's is going to be the bigger girl. She's a natural 135er. Nico Montagna, she's coming up to 135 to fight Juliana Pena. And... This is jumping to, jumping into the DraftKings perspective of things. Juliana Pena, $9,000. You could pop her in one lineup just to see how she looks. I wouldn't put her everywhere because what I've noticed from recent competitions is unless you're rostering an Amanda Nunes or a Valentina or just top of the food chain women MMA fighter who no one can mess with, these super high-priced women MMA fighters are it, it's it's a pretty dangerous game because if they go out there and they just look terrible or they're not able to implement their game or whatever it may be and you just choked up your lineup with nine thousand dollars and they happen to lose that doesn't it leaves a bad feeling inside of you and with Nico Montagna at 7200 I get it I was disrespecting her talked about how boring of a fighter she was blah 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 but in all honesty looking at this from my point of view I just don't see what she brings to the table that can overwhelm Juliana Pena I could the only way I see Nico Montagna really getting this decision if Juliana just doesn't looks like a former shell of herself or if she just completely gasses out and Nico is able to take advantage from there. In regards to Nico's takedowns and stuff, she's, I mean, her takedown initiation, it's not very good. It's a lot of upper body takedowns. And with Juliana Pena being the bigger girl, I just don't see that happening. And with her respective striking, her striking, her striking, it looks like you're watching a cardio kickboxing class. It's not impressive. And... Nico Montagna 7200 won't choke up your lineup. I think a lot of people in the MMA community hate this woman. So she probably is going to be low owned in your respective DraftKings pool. So you can... I'm, I'm going to fade Nico Montagna. But if you have love for her in your heart, put her in your lineup. Next, we have Ryan Hall at the DraftKings price of 8300 versus Darren Damage Elkins at the DraftKings price of 7900 This is a pretty interesting fight. Looking at Ryan Hall, Ryan Hall also fought to go Artem Lobov and beat him. Uh, you put as much weight as you want on that, but it, it is what it is. But Ryan Hall is a one-trick pony. He wants to submit you. He'll do his gamby little heel hook rolls to initiate grappling exchanges a lot of times whenever he is striking he'll flutter a kick out there flutter a kick out here he won't throw punches because that's he'll get tagged his, his, he he strictly jiu-jitsu doesn't box doesn't he, he just he just strictly a jiu-jitsu guy boomer bust jiu-jitsu play that's typically what he is he wants to submit you if he happens to win the fight by unanimous decision he's going to get you about 48 to 52 points and that's including the win bonus so 
that's what I see with Ryan Hall, but when you look at Darren the Damage Elkins, another Team Alpha Male fighter coming out, Sacramento representing, woo woo. With him, this guy's grimy, man. This guy, he has he has the Diego Sanchez damage, you know, in regards to the amount of punches he's taken in his head in his respective career. But he comes forward, his body kicks and his head kicks are respectable. His hands are absolutely garbage. They're nothing to marvel at. And he can initiate takedowns. When he can initiate takedowns, he can take people down. And he, if they get back up, he can take people down. And you get what I'm saying. But t engaging in the ground with Ryan Hall is a pretty dangerous game. Because Ryan Hall, his, his jiu-jitsu is pretty high level. And if you look at a previous fight with Darren Elkins, he fought... Gaddafi Pepe, if I'm saying his name correctly, he was also a Jiu-Jitsu ace, and Darren Elkins was able to grind him out, was able to actually take him down, engage him in the Jiu-Jitsu per se, but he wasn't engaging him as Pepe was getting off submission after submission after submission. He was getting on top, smother him, control him, score a significant strike here and there on the ground, transition, which is also DraftKings points for all my DraftKings players out there, and was able to get a unanimous decision, but looking at this Fight prediction-wise, I see Ryan Hall winning this bout by submission. And the only reason I see it like that is Darren Elkins, I don't believe, will follow the blueprint on how to beat Ryan Hall. And what is that blueprint? That blueprint is you strike with Ryan Hall, you're the aggressor, but whenever Ryan Hall tries a gaming role or whenever Ryan Hall does one of those weird pull guard motions where he tries to get you into his guard, disengage, tell him to get back up, put punches together, and then go from there. But with Darren Elkins, I just don't I don't see him following a smart game plan. I mean, if you got the nickname, the damage, you're looking for the violence. You're looking to, you know, kill a couple brain cells so you can get the fans hype. Especially if you're finding your hometown in Sacramento. Did I mention he was a team alpha male fighter? But back at it. I just see him going forward, trying to put it on Hall, trying to get him out of there, trying to take him down and such, using his grimy, ugly, very DraftKings friendly style. But if we go into the DraftKings breakdown of this, Ryan Hall, if you put him in your roster, you're putting him in there for a boomer bust submission play. If he gets his first round or second round submission, then he's bang for your buck, especially at 8,300. That's not too expensive to stick him in your lap and see if he can actually do it, especially with the way Darren Elkins fights. And looking at Darren Elkins at 7,900, that's not a bad price at all either, especially if he's able to get takedowns, grind Ryan Hall out, connect on him on the feet and people mentioned I, I saw this online people mentioned that Darren Elkins can like hunt Ryan Hall down put the hands on him but Ryan Hall he's a troll man like if you corner him up against the cage and you try to like put hands on him he'll just duck his head down literally sprint around you face you reset and then go back to his old trolley way of fighting trying to like I said get you into his guard so he can pull one of his signature hill hooks or one of his signature submissions. So both guys are definitely rosterable. But in Ryan Hall, like I mentioned, boom or bust submission play. If he doesn't get you the submission and he happens to win, he's going to get you 40 to 50 points or so. If he happens to lose, you're probably getting 20 to 15 points. And with Darren Elkins, he's just going to come forward. He's a fighter's fighter, underdog play, and... And he, he's going to bring it. So you're not going to be worried about his volume like a Shaman Marais at 8,400 or anything. You're, you're going you're gonna to like what you see out there in Elkins. Both guys are rosterable. You make the choice. Put them in your lineup. Make that money. 
Next bout, we have Peng Guan Lu at the DraftKings price of 8700 versus Jonathan Martinez at the DraftKings price of 7500 Looking up uh, Mr. Lu and his regional tape, he fought in this, I believe it was a Japanese or Chinese promotion, and it's the same situation with uh, Wellington Thurman, a.k.a. the Brazilian Nate Diaz, and the other guy that Mike... I go off the cuff on these pod, on these episodes, so yeah, I, it's it is what it is. Anyway, same situation: fighting in the regional scene against really weak Japanese slash Chinese competition. But he came into the UFC and he's fought two recent fights, and he won one fight by split decision, and he won his other fight by unanimous decision. So. Even though he fought in respectively weak competition on the regional scene, and his and coming up in the UFC scene, he he's doing what he needs to do. He's winning these fights. He's not knocking people out or finishing them like he did in the regional scene. But like I said, he's winning these fights. But the thing I noticed about Penguin Lu is his striking style is aggressive, but it's quite sloppy. He goes for takedowns here and there, but his takedown attempts are they're pretty pathetic. Like he shoots. He slams down on his knees, and then he'll try to grab. And if you know this, this little wrestling one-on-one, if you're trying to shoot in on an opponent, you want to have like your legs behind you. You don't want your legs hitting the ground. You want to be driving and having your core and your ass and your legs, everything pushing up against the opponent. And then after that, you dip them or you drop them or you put them up against the cage. You, you get what I'm saying. Ping, Mr. Lou isn't doing any of that. On top of that, Mr. Lou, he tends to gas out as the round progresses and he's also he's also pretty easy to take down and looking at his opponent Jonathan Martinez this guy he throws pretty quick leg kicks they're not like Jose Otto leg breaking devastating leg kicks but they're they're pretty quick they're pretty respectable this guy if you pressure him man he backs up he, he looks like one of those guys that if you go up to him and be like you know give me your lunch money he, he, I mean it's just he'll back up and such but one interesting fact I found online with uh, Jonathan Martinez was before he was training in Plainview Texas and in his previous fight against Weiju Bruin which he looked like a completely different fighter compared to his UFC debut where he looked timid, he was backing up, he was getting controlled and beaten up and such. I mean, he went to decision, didn't get TKO'd. But going back to his fight against Weiju Buren, he just looked like a different fighter. Some of the tendencies were still there of getting backing up or getting taken down. But when on the ground, he, he was looking for submissions. He was reversing Weiju Buren. Whenever he was on top, he was actually putting strikes together and such. And that's because he's training with Factory X, the same home of Anthony Lionheart Smith, and a lot of other notable fighters as well. And I believe that coaching change from Plainview, Texas to Factory X in Colorado is not only getting his cardio right, but he's just getting top-notch training and training with absolute killers and getting ready. And going into the fight prediction, I see Jonathan Martinez winning this bout by unanimous decision. Mr. Liu, he's aggressive, but he's not too aggressive. If he, he's aggressive initially, in the beginning of the fight and then as the fight progresses he tend his cardio tends to fade a bit and on top of that with the way he fights it's kind of wild it's kind of unorganized and i can see jonathan martinez taking advantage of that the thing about jonathan martinez is his bread is typically buttered on the ground especially with reversals and especially with submission attempts from the bottom and even on the top and with training with factory x looking at his difference between his first fight 
in the UFC and then his subs in his next fight against Weiju Buren, he just looks like a, a lot more focused, a lot more. Uh, they're bringing out that dog in him, you know, that dog that he he's gonna need come fight night. And I can see him outlasting Mr. Lou. I can see him putting putting that uh putting that uh pressure on him on the ground. Not on the feet necessarily. That's one thing you have to worry about with Martinez is Lou is going to back him up. Lou will land a couple of strikes here and there. But if Martinez is not only able to weather the storm, but actually able to put some punches back on Mr. Lou, Mr. Lou will start to gas out. Mr. Lou will start to fade, and which leads on to the DraftKings price. Uh, if you look at Mr. Lou's DraftKings price of 8,700, fade it. He can win this fight, yeah. But even if you were to win this fight, he's probably going to score you mid 60s, low 70s or so for 8,700. Man, just pay 200 extra bucks and get Aspen Ladd, or pay. 300 now 400 extra bucks and get Carl Robertson in a much better matchup and it looking at Martinez's price at 7500 he's a good underdog play on your DraftKings lineup possibly under owned unless if everybody listens to this everybody you you'll probably see 50% ownership but I digress what I'm saying is Jonathan Martinez is the play here Mr. Lou price is too high but his name's super cool Next, we have Brianna Van Buren at the DraftKings price of 8,200 versus Leviana Suaz Souza. <laughs> Suaza, man, I need to work on my my Brazilian pronunciations. But that, and she's at the DraftKings price of $8,000. This fight, if you look at the betting odds, if you look at the DraftKings price, it absolutely makes sense. This is a pick 'em. This is gonna be. This potentially might be fight of the night. You have Brianna Van Buren, who is the former strawweight Invicta champion, and she won her Invicta Championship one night in the tournament. So she fought like three girls in one night, beat all of them, and got her strawweight title. And the UFC just absolutely poached her. Like, hey, you're coming to the UFC now. You're done with Invicta. It was fun while it lasted. But looking at Brianna Van Buren, one thing that I noticed whenever researching her was she trains at AKA. So she's training with Khabib. She's training with DC. She's training with Crazy Bob Cook. She's training with Javier Mendez. I'm name dropping because AKA, man, that's a top-notch school, man. Luke Rockhold, if you're listening to this, you need to get your, you need to get your butt back in there, man, with that terrible boxing. But I digress. But Brianna Van Buren, man, she shoots. Whenever she shoots takedowns, man, she is explosive. Look up her nickname. It's called the the pit bull or the bulldog either way it's reminiscent five foot don't even worry about that height this girl she if you see me get i'm smiling while talking about her man like she she fights like she fights real well man like she gets underneath girls she picks them up slams them on top of that if you look at her stand-up her stand-up is not bad like she gets in and out those are one two ducks ducks throws a kick whenever she does throw the kick it's not some slow laboring kick it's like quick snappy her hands are quick and snappy she mixes up the takedowns she doesn't put herself in bad positions which also is a testament to her fight iq which is also really really impressive and really really respectable the only weaknesses i saw from her game is if she fights against bigger girls or more aggressive girls who grime her up against the cage it can pose a problem to her. She will get taken down here and there, but she gets right back on her feet. Another thing, too, is she's making her UFC debut, and she's coming at short notice. I believe it's three or four weeks short notice, but just looking at the tape and looking at the camp she's fighting at, I mean, 
and she looks great. But going back to that weakness again, I mentioned about girl, like a, a more aggressive women's opponent who's taking her down and grinding her up against the cage. Look no further than Liviana Souza. Liviana Souza, she also fought an Invicta as well. I believe she was an Invicta strawweight champion as well. And this girl, she is a judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and she's grimy. Let's, let's just break it down piece by piece. Stand-up-wise, she spams the overhand right. It's pretty predictable, and it's pretty quick in the first rounds, but in the second and third rounds, especially when she starts to fade, it becomes more and more sloppy, more and more apparent, and that's something that I could see, you know, Van Buren or someone with really good striking getting underneath and dumping her head in. But going back to her grappling game, that's where she she's actually a bit of a pit bull herself. She likes to get the fight up against the cage and use judo trips up against the cage. That's how her bread is typically buttered. She's not really she'll shoot from the outside, but a lot of times it's either to tip you over if your takedown defense is absolutely garbage, or to push you up against the cage where she can engage some of that judo. But her like I said, her judo is mostly a compromise of leg trips and just little taps and judo tricks and such. I'm not a judoka, so I can't speak too much on that, but whenever she's on top, she's trying to pass, she's trying to apply ground and pound. Her ground and pound is pretty ferocious in regards to the pace and the volume that she puts on it. And she's just trying to look for submissions. And on top of that too, whenever she's on bottom, she'll throw up submissions here and there, but her top game, whenever she's on the ground is where it's at. And the thing too is Liviana Souza, whether she is dominating the fight or she's behind she's gonna keep shooting keep trying to tie up the legs keep going this is this is a dog on dog fight where's michael vick at man this is pitbull versus pitbull it's a pick em fight going to the fight predictions i see brianna van buren winning just because of the cleaner technique especially the stand-up technique also with her height being at five foot i think it'll be a lot more harder for Sosa to get underneath her and do what she needs to do against her and i see also that height serving Van Buren in regards to getting underneath Sosa and dumping on her head on those takedowns or just getting underneath that sloppy overhand right and then cracking her with a couple of good really quick technical shots. From a DraftKings perspective, like I mentioned in the beginning, it's a pick a man. Like this fight is going to be fight of the night in my opinion. Pick who you want to pick on your lineup, lock them up, hope that they win and I see a lot of points coming in either way with Souza's takedowns or Van Buren's takedowns and striking. So, pick and choose, baby. Pick and choose. Lastly, we have Vince Morales at the DraftKings price of $8,500 versus Benito Lopez at the DraftKings price of $7,700. <clears throat> Vince Morales is coming in short notice. Benito Lopez, also Team Alpha Male Fighter. And I believe he's the last one to mention as well. But anyway, uh, Benito Lopez, Team Alpha Male Fighter, you know, fighting in Sacramento, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Vince Morales is coming in short notice for Martin Day, who was originally slated to fight Benito Lopez. And looking at Vince Morales' tape, Vince Morales is, is a come forward. He, he's a he's a grimy fighter, but not grimy to the like. It's not a Darren Elkins point kind of fighting. Like he slips his head here and there, he pops a head kick. He loves his overhand right, and the way he throws it is pretty. I wouldn't say super slick, but it's it's pretty. It's tech. It's pretty technically sound in regards to how quick it gets in there, how sneaky it is. This guy he fights at a fights at a pretty fast pace. In regards to how he wins his fights, he just wants to come forward, put hands on you, 
drop you, get you out of there, or just win the scorecards. Looking also at his competition in his UFC uh, Dana White Contender Series fight, which he lost, he looked good in that fight. He faced adversity against a much taller opponent, a, a much taller opponent who hurt him. He was able to drop that said opponent, and even though he got choked out, he didn't tap, man. And what that tells me is this kid, he comes to fight. He doesn't care who you are. He's coming in there to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you, and he's coming in there to scrap. He fought. He came in short notice against Song Yudong in his UFC debut, and we saw what Song Yudong did last week to Alejandro Perez. And Vince Morales went to decision with him. Not only that, he went toe to toe with Song Yudong and was throwing heat back and forth. Yudong obviously dominated that fight in the first and second round, but I mean that's pretty respectable. And against uh, 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 TriStar Gym's uh, head coach Faraz Sahabi. Faraz Sahabi has a younger brother that fights in the UFC. And Vince Morales went to Canada, fought him short notice, and beat him by unanimous decision. So Morales is, is definitely super game, man. Super game fighter, come forward kind of fighter. Doesn't really engage in the takedowns and such. He just wants to come forward, put hands on you, put combinations on you, and hopefully take your butt out or win the fight by unanimous decision. When you look at Benito Lopez, Benito Lopez... <laughs> My first initial thought of Benito Lopez is, why is this guy in the UFC? I get it. Uriah favors your boy. You know, you got into the Dana White Contender Series. He fought Steven Peterson. He won that by split decision, which, in my opinion, he did not win that fight. But that's neither here nor there. And in his two respective UFC fights, he fought against... I forgot the guy's name in his UFC debut. But this guy, he was playing patty cake with Benito Lopez. He was able to get that fight. And against a very very tough jiu-jitsu opponent in his second bout who's not to know I'm going blank on his name but he was able to just pressure Benito Lopez take him down and just work him and get the submission well Benito Lopez what he does good is he will stay long here and there with his jab and his body kick his front body kick he's an orthodox fighter but those aren't very devastating punches. Where his devastation truly comes from is he has this flying knee that he can do from the standing position. He doesn't have to sprint across the cage like Jorge Masvidal and crack you. He'll just throw it. And if you're coming in stupid or if you're coming in sloppy, it can hurt you and it can probably take you out. But other than that, Benito Lopez, he just he doesn't offer anything else, man. He just he, he tries to stay long, but he, he doesn't throw enough volume nor maintain the distance well enough to stay long. And... He, whenever he gets tied up and he's in clinch situations, he just doesn't look like a strong fighter, man. He just looks, looks like a, looks like a kid who picked up MMA early, and I mean he's made it this far. God bless him. But going into the fight prediction, I see Vince Morales winning this fight by unanimous decision. Vince Morales, his striking volume is will be too much for Benito Lopez. At the same time, he fights at a much quicker pace. He's able to cut him off. He's able to cover the distance. Benito Lopez also he just looking at his past fights, when he goes in the later rounds, he just tends to fade. And Benito Lopez, with that flying knee that he throws, that looks like the only thing that can possibly hurt Morales and take him out of there. But I feel like Morales is smart enough to know this. He keeps his distance pretty well in regards to getting inside. He's not so deep inside or so head forward that he's going to get cracked by that knee. I see him just pressuring Benito Lopez up against the cage, punching him up and doing what he needs to do. DraftKings-wise at 8500 I don't like that price for Vince Morales just because he primarily strikes, doesn't really go for takedowns. If you put Vince in your lineup, you're going to need him to get a knockout. You're going to need him to put a Max Holloway display on with over like 200 significant strikes or something way up there in that regard. 
40, 50, 80 significant strikes not going to be enough. You're looking at probably like a 60 to 70 point win. I mean, 60 to 70 point DraftKings performance with the win bonus on top of that. And it's just, it, it, it's not a good price. Like I mentioned earlier on this episode, there's a lot of 80, mid $8,000 guys I don't like. Vince Morales is one of them. I definitely think he's going to win. But we're looking for bang for the buck. We're trying to win the big money here. I'll make that money at the podcast, you know. And with Benito Lopez at 7,700, pass on this guy. He doesn't offer too much. 7,700 is way too much. Maybe if he was in the lower 7,000s, I would consider it. But I, I don't see it. I'm fading him hardcore. If you're Benito's homeboy, put him in your lineup and hope, hope that he does well and whatever. But that's the breakdown of this fight. And I want to thank each and every one of y'all for tuning in to the DraftKings session, episode four. We out here. We're trying to make it happen. We're going to make that money. We're going to spectate while our pockets accumulate. Tune in next week as we get into the, we have UFC events each and every week coming up, but I ain't stopping because y'all need to make that money and I'm here to help you out. God bless you. Reach out to that DraftKings link if you never played DraftKings. DraftKings before, sign up on there, get your account out there, subscribe to the YouTube channel, we have many things coming on that, subscribe to the podcast, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff's underneath, y'all know what to do, make that money, spectate while your pockets accumulate, peace.